The good news, bad news is they're pretty basic. So for individuals, the number one threat is receiving an email that looks legitimate and you opening an attachment and clicking on a link. If you can stop yourself from opening attachments or clicking on links and emails, most of the fraud, most of the scams, most of the issues from an individual goes away pretty quick. From a corporate perspective, and it's sad because we just had Citrix get compromised. Last year was Marriott. And it comes down to weak passwords, not patching systems, and having critical data exposed from the internet. So what I always tell companies, if you want to be secure from today's threats, patch your systems, have strong passwords, don't have sensitive data accessible from the internet. And really, that's all it takes. But a lot of companies and individuals don't think they're a target. They let down their guard and they make silly mistakes. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. If I wasn't tone deaf, you would know that I love a good spy story. And today we're going to get into that and much more. We're going cybersecurity, CIA, and all of the good stuff. We got Eric Cole on the program, arguably the number one cybersecurity expert in the U.S. He's worked with the Obama administration, the CIA, the Gates Foundation. He was the CTO of McAfee, and he's inducted into the... Apparently there's an Info Security Hall of Fame. He's an expert on IT with all things security, network defense, penetration, and he's written a couple of books on the subject. But we'll dive into all that and more on the episode as we discuss the importance and future of cybersecurity and why hacking always gets easier, what the CIA actually does when it comes to cyber warfare, why the U.S. is one of the biggest perpetrators of hacking worldwide, what's the future of politics in a post-Trump era, which monopoly scares Eric the most and why, and how Alexa and smart home devices are going to drive even greater surveillance and tyranny. There's a lot of deep, deep topics for us to get into, so we should probably get on with the program, guys. Without further ado, I give you Eric Cole. I work from Starbucks and drink a ton of coffee and love saving money. That's why I love the Cash App, the debit card from Square with boosts that save me a dollar at coffee shops nationwide every time. No strings attached, no hidden fees. Seriously. People don't believe it until they try it. Then my mom tried it. She loved it. And you can get $5 free to fuel your caffeine addiction and save a dollar on every cup of coffee every time by going to disruptors.fm slash cash and signing up. I love the cash app and coffee. Seriously. Disruptors.fm slash cash to support us, support your fix and save money on coffee. And now let's get on with the program. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Your background is cybersecurity and a fair bit more as well. But can you give me a quick 30,000 foot view? What's your story before we jump into it? Uh, so re- real quick, I wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. I majored in computer science and then I wanted to do an intern. So I did an intern at the CIA, which turned into a 10 year career, which turned into a cybersecurity career, which turns into the best 30 years of my life. What was it like at the CIA? I know I applied for an internship and then found out later it would have actually been a job and I'd have to do lie detectors and go through all of this craziness just to become an awesome James Bond spy. Was it like that? What I always joke with people, the best thing about the CIA is the rumors that everyone thought it was so cool, but but 90% of the time it was not near as cool as everyone thought. 
but the 10% what was pretty fun, some of the projects and some of the travel that you got to do. But most of the time, it was just a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of checking the boxes. What about the crazy scenarios? Can you talk about any of them? At a high level, I mean, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. So two of the cool scenarios, one was I'm in a meeting and we're deploying these new systems for the internet. And I didn't know that in big meetings, you're not supposed to raise your hand. So I raised my hand and it's a huge meeting and my boss is in the front. She's going like, put your hand down. And I thought she was waving to me. So I'm waving back. And they said, yes, Eric. And I said, how do we know these systems are secure? If we're deploying these systems for the sensitive communication on the internet, how do we know it's secure? How do we know it's protected? And they all looked around and said, Eric, thank you for volunteering. And I said, well, I wasn't volunteering. I was just asking him, but that's what happens when you volunteer. And that got me on the path of being one of the first pen testers and offensive guys, because the only way to see if a system is secure is trying to break in. So I basically got to be a professional hacker for five years where they just trained me to break in, understand exposures and understand vulnerabilities. Speaking of which, what are the biggest cyber threats today for both individuals and governments or corporations? The good news, bad news is they're pretty basic. So for individuals, the number one threat is receiving an email that looks legitimate and you opening an attachment and clicking on a link. If you can stop yourself from opening attachments or clicking on links and emails, most of the fraud, most of the scams, most of the issues from an individual goes away pretty quick. From a corporate perspective, and it's sad because we just had Citrix get compromised, last year was Marriott, and it comes down to weak passwords, not patching systems, and having critical data exposed from the internet. So what I always tell companies, if you want to be secure from today's threats, patch your systems, have strong passwords, don't have sensitive data accessible from the internet, and really that's all it takes. But a lot of companies and individuals don't think they're a target. They let down their guard and they make silly mistakes. Yeah, you go for the ABCD password or something similar. You got you to exactly. get, get one of these password managers these days. It's just so much more convenient. That's the funny thing is most security people say, don't write down your password. I tell everyone, write it down in a secure manner. Just get a password manager, have strong, robust passwords. It's easy. It's simple. It doesn't have to be that difficult. Yeah, then you can choose like the 28 characters with the strange little fonts and all the good stuff and get the get a little bit more security in the world. Exactly. And um, it's, uh, we're speaking of security, we're going in a very interesting direction. And I think cybersecurity is one of those things like insurance, it just always goes up because it's easier to play offense than it is to play defense. What's the future of cyber? I believe it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Because people still aren't paying attention to it. I'll give you a great example. If you go back to the uh, Equifax breach that happened where there were over 500 million U.S. citizens' records compromised. We know for a fact that 70% of American social security numbers is public. It's, it's factual. We have the data to prove it. Yet two months ago, they did a survey of American citizens and only 11% felt that their personal data was compromised. Here's a situation where we know it's 70, but only 11% of people honestly believe it or think it's an issue. So I don't know what else has to happen for people to wake up. I used to say if there were 10 million records, people would wake up and nothing happened. Then we had 100, then we have, and we're going to have a billion. And Congress doesn't seem to care. We still don't have laws that protect American citizens. Individuals don't care. So 
It's just a hacker heyday. And what we've seen in the last six months, which is really concerning me, it's becoming business. Hacking used to be an annoyance. Hacking used to be something that went against governments to steal top secret information. Now we're seeing it monetarily driven with ransomware, stealing bank accounts and others. So it's starting to hurt people's bank accounts. And I just say, when is enough enough? But people just don't seem to care yet. And government especially. Do they not care? Are they too stupid to understand? I I think they are so caught up fighting with each other. But like, I I always joke in mommy and daddy fight. When parents fight, it's the kids that lose. And right now, it's the American citizens' kids that are losing because daddy Trump and mommy Pelosi just can't get along and want to fight each other. The other thing is, and you nailed it, and I don't want to sound crude here, but most people that are senators and House of Representatives, most of them are over 60. Most of them use typewriters. Most of them used to get high in college on whiteout. Most of them never used a computer until they were 30, and they're now passing laws. If you look at the hearings on the Hill when the senators were talking to Mark Zuckerberg, it was embarrassing. They didn't even know a computer or browser or how a software worked or how the technology operated. We don't sell your data. We just lease it. Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's absurd. Um, speaking of, how do you think about the tech giants, privacy, GDPR, and how we're seeing the world evolve in some of those directions? I'm sitting there going, thank God for Europe. Th- thank God they're passing a GDPR. For those not familiar, that's the General Data Protection Regulation. That was a law that the EU, the European Union, passed last May basically putting strict requirements in place to protect clients' data. And one of the things I like is if a company doesn't properly protect EU's data, EU citizens' data, it can be up to 4%. The fines can be up to 4% of their annual revenue, which can be huge. And my problem is in the United States, we're trying to pass laws to make hacking illegal. Wake up call, all the hackers are outside the country and with countries that don't have extradition treaties. Making hacking illegal doesn't solve anything. It's not going to stop these foreign countries. What we need to do is put penalties in place when these companies are gross negligent. When these companies don't protect our data and make silly mistakes, they need to be held accountable. And the United States is not willing to do that. But thankfully, Europe is stepping up and holding companies accountable. Yeah, 4% of the total company turnover. So Google has solid turnover in other divisions as well. It becomes quite a hefty fine. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and uh, that well, you need a big stick to motivate. So future of security, there's been a lot of talk about recently, and it's hard to tell how much is propaganda, how much is real about Huawei, the Chinese government. There's been a lot of isolationist type fears. What are you afraid of from a, a global, and inter, uh, global and country security type perspective? Uh, t- two things I'm afraid of. Uh, one is cyber because it's unregulated. Nuclear weapons, other weapons of mass destruction are regulated. The UN monitors it. Uh, Certain countries like North Korea are not allowed to have nuclear weapons, but cyber weapons are uncontrolled. And what we're seeing is cyber weapons are the tool of choice to retaliate against the United States. Every time Robert Mueller has an indictment against a Russian, the number of attacks from Russia increased by 200%. Three weeks ago in the United States, increased sanctions against China, the number of attacks increased by 300%. Last week, when President Trump walked out of the meeting with North Korea, the amount of attacks increased by 150%. So these countries are using cyber as an attack choice 
But here's the interesting thing. They're going after U.S. citizens. They're not going after U.S. companies or U.S. corporations. The second thing I'm petrified is if I talk about cyber attacks and countries that lost cyber attacks, what country is always on the list? China. It's Russia, China, China, Russia, Russia, China. Everybody knows the Chinese are sophisticated. Everybody knows the Chinese are hacking. Yet here's the thing that worries me. We know they're hacking our computers over the internet. Factual data, everyone's aware of it, everyone knows that. But take any electronics. Take my computer, take my cell phone, take my microphone, take your printer. Flip it over. What are three magical words that are in the back of every electronic device? Made in China. Made in the United States. No, made in China. Exactly. Now, here's my thing, and this is starting to become true. What if all those electronics that they're making have embedded malware in them for manufacturing time? If they're making the technology in China, why wouldn't they do that? And I've been saying this for a few years, and people said I'm crazy, but what's been happening in the last six months? More and more technology is coming out that it has embedded malware in it. So to me, we're really getting into a world where there's no secrets. Everything's available, everything's monitored, and what we need to do is worry about protecting and securing our critical data. It's a perfect Trojan horse that you can't help but take in because otherwise you're screwed and your economy falls apart. Exactly. <laughs> now, now, how much, let's play devil's advocate, how much of this is actually happening and how much of this is wanting to have an enemy, someone else to blame? There was the, there was the story with uh, Chinese um, Huawei gear being essentially having s- small little devices or small little um, components within them in Apple, Google, the government, etc. Everyone denies it. The question is, was that the U.S. government wanting to have reasons to push back against China so we can appear tough and have a trade war? Or was that something actually happening? Clearly, in the future, it's potentially a problem. But my understanding is it's not set in stone, which that was. Right. But my understanding with most of these cases, and I'll give my general view and then I'll dig into that specific example, is it's happening. There's a truth behind everything, but it's often overly exaggerated. It's often modified and changed to fit the media, and it's often played strategically by politics and the government. So yes, with the the Huawei, there was some chips that were found. However, there wasn't actually any proof as of today that it was actually being used for any monitoring. So the truth is, was there embedded components that should not have been there? Were there embedded components that could be used for malicious activity? Yes and yes, that's true. Where is it actually being utilized and was trade secrets actually being stolen? That's the part that we extrapolated that we believe could happen, but hasn't been proven. Let's play devil's advocate again. So I've seen Snowden. I'm sure a lot of us have. Doesn't the US do as much of this as they can as well? Is this just kind of pot calling the kettle black? Absolutely. And it's one of those things when I give talks and I say, what are the top countries that are launching cyber attacks. And most of the talks in the US or even in other places, everyone sort of always yells out Russia and China. It's funny, even I just gave a talk two months ago in Russia, and they all proudly, when I said, what are the top countries? They were all like, Russia. And, and when I said China, they got offended. They were like, what do you mean? We're number one. We're... So, so they even know it. But what I always tell people is I go, okay, Russian, China, North Korea, United States, Canada, UK, what you, people have to remember is in the real world, we have allies. We protect, we physically protect with our military, Canada and the UK. We have allies that we support. However, in cyberspace, there are no allies. 
Everyone's ha- the ch- uh, Canada's hacking us. We're hacking Canada. We're hacking you. I mean, everyone's hacking everybody. So yes, the U.S. is absolutely going at this. And what's interesting, it didn't get a lot of news coverage, but I thought it was pretty significant. Is in the past, if the military wanted to do any offensive operations, they had to get the presidential approval. So it was a, a pretty long process. President Trump signed three weeks ago that the military now has full ability and capability to launch cyber attacks without getting his permission. So now the amount of cyber warfare and cyber attacks from the United States is increasing tremendously because now the handcuffs have been taken off. So we are actively doing this. Here's the one difference. All the other major countries, China, Russia, North Korea, even a lot of the European Union countries, their governments hack to give their local companies an economic advantage. The Chinese will hack U.S. companies and give it to their local companies to help them out. That's one thing the U.S. has not done yet. And to me, that's one thing we need to do. If every other government is hacking for their local companies to give them an economic advantage and the United States is not doing that, the U.S. is going to have a rough time competing in this global market. That's the, it's kind of like the paradox of everyone taking a poop in the toilet and no one cleaning it up. How do you, how do you deal with something like that where it's inherently poorly incentivized to create problems? Is there a way around this? Is there a, a UN or type of accord that we can put around cybersecurity? Or is the fact that it's almost peer to peer make it nearly impossible? So I, I, I'm still caught up with the poop in the toilet. I'm sort of like just flush the toilet, but I, I know where you go. going. So, uh, but, but yeah, so what has to happen, and this is not an answer anybody wants to hear, but we need to have universal global laws on cybersecurity and global police. And the reason is simple. The physical world has boundaries. So the fact that the United States has laws, Saudi Arabia has laws, Canada has laws, and you have to abide by those laws when you go in that country worked when we had physical boundaries. But now with the internet, you can go anywhere. You can go to any country, any location, any spot in the world. So now the fact that somebody in Russia can hack and steal information in the United States, but there's no laws protecting us because Russia doesn't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. and doesn't allow their citizens to come to the U.S. to be tried, we basically have the wild, wild west. So until an entity like the U.N. or a new entity steps up, all these countries agree that we're going to have global laws and global police, it's not going to get any better. And the problem is that's going to take at least six to eight years. And that's very optimistic before countries start to cooperate and work together. And even if they do, the most important ones won't agree to it anyways, just out of principle. Well, well, you're going to have like you do with the nuclear. Iran and North Korea, they don't like the fact they can't have nuclear weapons and they push back, but there's enough pressure from all the other countries that they're sort of forced to abide in all the sanctions and everything else. So hopefully there'll be enough pressure. But the problem is you have big companies like Russia big countries like Russia and China that aren't going to want to cooperate. So the question is, what incentives do you have to put in place in order to get them to sign off and actually follow those agreements? And clearly the trade war is not one of them. Let's, uh, let's change gears a little bit into driverless cars, autonomous vehicles, and the future of cybersecurity in the realm where you can hack my car and drive it off a bridge at any time. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of those other areas that literally uh, scare the gajibas out of me the self-driving cars, because here's what everyone misses. Self-driving cars are basically going to be predictable devices. 
Anything that's programmed by a human, anything that's in a computer has predictability. So yes, will smart driving cars, self-driving cars, prevent minor accidents? Yes, because now when you're driving, you have the sensors, and if somebody in front of you stops short and you're not paying attention and you're on your cell phone, your car will stop, you won't get into a fender bender. So I believe with self-driving cars, minor accidents, minor car accidents will become a thing of the past because it's not really going to be possible for that to happen. However, what everyone's missing is what happens when you're going 65 miles an hour down the road and one person or one self-driving car makes a mistake, does something they're not supposed to, and crashes into another? Every single other car will pile up because they won't have the human intelligence to be able to respond and react. So I believe the amount of fatalities in car accidents and the significant major car accidents will increase tremendously because of self-driving cars because they won't have the capability to avoid that like a human, but the minor accidents will work. Sorry, will the, the minor accidents will be prevented. I want to take a quick time out to tell you guys about today's show sponsor, Design Crowd. This is the company that designed the podcast cover art for the Disruptors. Also Fringe FM before we had to change the brand name because of those UFO crazies. If you go to disruptors.fm slash design crowd, that's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-W-D. You can check that out and tell them we sent you. That helps us with making the podcast more sustainable. And it'll definitely help you because you'll have designers around the world competing to create the best graphic design projects for you, whether that's a logo, cover art, anything, you name it. That's disruptors.fm slash design crowd. You don't think we'll be able to get autonomous driving to the point where it can react faster and to react better than a human, even in life or death situations? I do. But the question is this, how many people have to die before we figure it out? Because we won't have it figured out right out of the gate. Because those are lessons that you only learn by failing. Those are lessons you only learn by making mistakes. But here's the difference. If Steve Jobs, or should when Steve Jobs failed at making the iPhone, Steve Jobs failed a lot. He had a lot of failed technology, had a lot of failed iPhones. Microsoft, have you ever heard of Windows 1.1 or Windows 2.1? No, because they were failures. Or Vista. Or Vista, exactly. So we make failures with software, but the difference is if it's an operating system or a phone and it fails a few times, who cares? It pisses a few people off, but we move on. But if you're making a car that's carrying humans that have loss of life, how many failures are tolerable until we learn and figure out how to make that properly safe and and operate in a proper manner? Which means inevitably that all future self-driving cars will come out of China because they'll be willing to take those bets and the US and other places won't. Exactly. But the bigger thing with self-driving cars is the insurance. I know I have a few friends now that have some of the new Teslas that are whatever they call them, semi, self-driving or partial. And I will tell you, there's only a few insurance companies that will insure and it's exorbitant. It's very, very expensive. So the other piece that I think everyone's missing is where is that insurance going to go? Because if you're going to have a high amount of accidents in the beginning, who's willing to lay out that money? When those accidents occur, and here's the other thing that people miss, who gets the points? In, in Virginia, if I go 15 miles over the speed limit, I get points, and after a certain number of points, I lose my license. Well, if it's the car that's driving and not a human, who's going to get the points if there are accidents and speeding? And then here's the other question. 
can I go in and have a crazy mode? Like if I have my self-driving car and it always follows the speed limit, it always goes 55 miles an hour. What if I'm late for a meeting? What if I want to speed? What if I want to get there sooner? Do I either override it or is there like a crazy mode where I can now tell my self-driving car, it's okay to speed, it's okay to go 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? I just think a lot of those questions haven't been answered and it's the fundamental dilemma. Functionality always leads, security always follows. We always love our Alexa in our house until we realize it's spying on us. We always love our ring doorbell until it's compromised by a robber. We all love our self-driving cars until it starts causing problems and causing issues. So speaking of Alexa, these (laughs) these in-home devices are terrifying and Bezos loves it. I am sure you're terrified as well as a security guy, just increased attack vectors. Yeah, so the the fundamental rule is anything with a computer, anything accessible to the internet is hackable. And what most people don't realize is Alexa is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence needs to learn. How does it learn? By listening. So Alexa, actually, when you turn it on and you use it, it records the next two hours of conversation so it can have data to feed its AI engine. I have seen cases where police are coming in with domestic dispute and robberies and murders and things like that. They are taking the Alexa as evidence, just like they would a witness. And that is actually admissible in a court of law. And that's terrifyingly scary. That's something that we need to probably remedy as soon as possible because that's minority report, but only a few steps removed. I I agree with you, but we unfortunately are going to live in the minority report because people have cameras inside their homes that are recording. My personal favorite is everyone has a personal tracking device. These cell phones, I can go in and people are amazed. And I do this at conferences sometimes. I'll get their permission, but I'll take their cell phone and I'll uh, just connect it to mine to, with some software and I'll be like, so how was dinner last night? And like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, you ate at Morton's from six to nine. And oh, by the way, you stopped by Starbucks on the way home and got a coffee. How was that cap? And they're like, what? They have no idea that that information is being stored on their device. And if somebody got into it and or got access to it, they could tell you exactly where they were, what they were doing, what they accessed. I do expert witness work. And I did a case six months ago. It was a murder case. And the suspect claimed that he wasn't at the location where the murder took place. But on his phone, not only was I able to place him there, but stupidly, he took a picture 30 seconds before the murder. And I had the metadata to prove the exact location where it was taken. So people have no idea the digital footprint they're leaving. Why would you take a picture? What I always say is thank God that most criminals are stupid. Because when they get smart, it's really hard to catch them. Because <laughs> when, when they get smart, it's Russia with hacking, essentially. Exactly, yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the flip side of things. So we're moving towards a, a surveillance world. Minority Report is inevitable. Is that, is that the story? Yes. <laughs> I was trying to paint it in a more positive light. But, but yes, we're getting to a point where where you are, what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're accessing is all going to be available. And I always joke with people, but, but I think a lot more people in the future are going to become Amish or partial Amish just because they don't want to be tracked. I have a general rule. There are no cameras in my house. I have some cameras on the outside. I have some other technology, but I do not want cameras in my house. I do not want Alexa in my house. Now, it's sort of ironic because while I say that, 
We're on a webcam. You can eat with this thing that's doing the same exact thing, but it's uh it's crazy. It's a slippery slope as well because it's one small thing and then it's another and oh wouldn't this be convenient? Oh, because we have the Alexa, why don't we get another one? And what about this the ring doorbell which Amazon was smart to buy? There's all of these little things that add up into a uh, it's like your hair growing. You don't notice it until it's already too late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh that's scary. What uh what technologies outside of cyber most frighten you and why? But probably the technology that frightens me the most right now and it'll it'll be a, a sort of bizarre answer, but it's amazon.com. And the reason is Jeff Bezos is a brilliant, crazy dictator of the universe. He wants to take over the world. What he's slowly doing is killing off retail stores. He's killing off the competition. I mean, I, I just drove where I live in Ashburn, Virginia, just drove down the road and there was a building where there used to be a Blockbuster, where there used to be a Toys R Us, where there used to be a Borders Books, and they're all out of business because of Amazon. So what I'm worried is, yes, I love Amazon. I love the fact that last night when I went to sleep, I realized I was out of vitamins. I ordered them at 10 p.m. and they will be here before 9 a.m. this morning. And I don't have to go to a store. I don't have to go anywhere to get them. It's great. But what people don't realize with Amazon is they are taking over all commerce, all components, all monopoly. And then the one right behind it are the social media platforms, Google and Facebook and all these others. I know Zuckerberg and Facebook have been in the news and Facebook is now the hated entity of most people, but it's all social media. We don't realize with social media, they have profiles of us. They know what we're doing. They know what we like. They know where we eat. I mean, it's back to the minority report. The, the thing that scares me with the social media is not only are they doing this, but we're giving it to them. We're voluntarily giving away our information so they can track and monitor us. So all of the e-commerce and social media and all the search engine technology, that just terrifies me because that's creating a society where we have no more privacy and no more freedom. And have people that are easy to manipulate by showing them different YouTube algorithms that get success, um, um, sequentially worse every episode uh, video that you watch, sequentially more extreme. You're either going farther right or farther left. And we've created a society, and this boggles me, where you are now guilty until proven innocent. You could literally, and please don't do this, but you could literally go on your social media platform right after this podcast and say, I found out from Dr. Cole that he robbed 14 banks and he's a convicted felon. And I can guarantee you that people would believe it, that people would start going, Eric, were you ever arrested? It would start to hurt my ability to do keynotes and things like that. We now have the ability where anybody can say anything and people believe it and there's no accountability, there's no freedom. And, and once again, don't want to get into political, political debates, but there's so many cases on both sides where outright lies were published on social media and the people were guilty and convicted and nobody ever validated or verified the truth. Hillary Clinton's a lizard, right? How do, we, exactly. how, how do we deal with that going forward? Because we already saw an election swung by essentially extreme extremization and outright lies. And I don't see how it gets better until it gets worse. That's, that's the unfortunate part is it will have to get a lot worse before it gets better. I, I think our generation is, is the ones that should get a big thank you note from the millenniums because we're going to have to figure all this stuff out 
for them. But, but no, it, we're going to have to deal with a lot more corruption. We're going to have to deal with a lot more problems and a lot more issues before people start to wise up and say, okay, I can't believe everything I see. I can't believe everything that's out there. We also, to me, need better laws because right now defamation laws or what they call libel laws aren't really enforced on the internet. If I go in and I do a printed letter or I do an interview on CNN and I make false provable uh, lies about you, you can sue me, take action. But on the internet and social media, they're saying, oh no, that's just personal opinions. That's not really an issue. So we need to have, it's probably, like I said, another five to eight years where we just get new laws, people start to wise up, people start to recognize the dangers and the issues. But it's really back to the wild, wild west where you have this unregulated media that controls and dictates everything we do in our lives. Well, it's dangerous because ever since the days of ESPN and Fox, it's kind of like opinions became the news. And when opinions became the news, everyone had their right to an opinion. But their opinion looked like news because they were projected on the news. And that's kind of spiraled out to the rest of society. Your opinion is a fact, which is in fact not a fact. But it's even worse because you're right, with ESPN and all those, it's opinions. But at least you'd like to think there's some vetting or regulation that's done there. But I sort of joke now, it's almost like uh, Beavis and Butthead are now becoming the reliable news source where you have people that are just making stuff up and being silly and fooling around, and that now becomes the truth that everybody believes. Scientology. What, uh, what technologies are you most excited about and why? That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, uh, my initial answer is probably all of it, because I, I love automation. I love ways that technology can make things better for humans. So I'm probably most excited about some of the home automation, home delivery. I think it's totally awesome that my refrigerator will learn what I like to eat. And when milk gets low, I come home from work that night and the milk is full because the refrigerator went in and communicated with Harris Teeter. Harris Teeter automatically ordered the milk. They had a delivery person come, put the milk in my refrigerator, leave. And now basically, I don't have to worry about doing that. So to me, it would probably be a lot of the home automation. I know this sounds crazy because I'm a security guy, but I'm always a big fan of functionality and security. What value do you get and what is the risk? So believe it or not, I actually like the Amazon home delivery because I travel a lot. I'm not home. I've had packages in the rain get stolen from my uh, townhome and other things like that. So I like the fact that somebody can put the package inside my front door and I don't have to worry about it. So it's probably a lot of these home automation technologies that I'm getting really excited about with the caveat that we have to balance the risk versus the exposure. With the caveat that they'll probably almost inevitably be built in, manufactured by Amazon. Exactly, yes. <laughs> our, our monopoly and evil genius number one out there, who gets a lot less flack than the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, just because they manage to stay under the radar somehow. Yeah, that, that's the thing that always shocks me, because, I mean, Z- Zuckerberg is just, he just is the new bully that everyone wants to beat up on and, and punch around and stuff. But Google's just as bad. And to me, Amazon is a lot worse. The one thing I will give you, though, that I really like about Jeff Bezos is most executives play defense. Like when Zuckerberg was on the Hill and this and that, they're just defending and justifying and explaining their ways out of things. But Jeff, he just plays the offense. 
Like I, I, I love the fact when the Inquirer was trying to bribe him and saying, unless you pay us money, we're going to publish the pictures. We're going to do this. And he's like, publish the pictures. I don't really care. Bring it. Like he, he doesn't seem to be afraid. He's very offensive in how he works. And I think because of that, the media and a lot of people are afraid of him. And he controls the media, right? He, he, the Washington Post and a lot of others. That, that's the next move that everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I can guarantee you, Jeff Bezos is going to buy a major news channel. I honestly think it's going to be CNN, but it's going to be one of those. And then it gets real interesting. Now, the guy who owns all the e-commerce, they own all the stores, he owns all that, he now owns all the media. You are really getting into a scary place where one person is really becoming grand emperor of the universe. Yeah, you get into the little pinky right here. and Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've got the craziness of it and also the political sharpness of it. So it, looking backwards, it was pretty obvious where our headquarters two going to be. Well, let's put it in Washington and New York, the two most powerful economic and political powerhouses of the US. So you've got East Coast, West Coast, and you've got the political scumbags in your pocket, more or less. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting game to play. Now, I, I was laughing because, you know, with the whole uh, headquarters two and this and that, I, I told everyone, they're like, well, should we buy land in DC, this or that? I'm like, absolutely. I said, I can guarantee you one of the locations will be Washington, DC and Northern Virginia. And everyone's like, why? And it's the exact reason you said he wants, I, I joke, everyone says he wants to be close to the government. I honestly believe he wants to take over and become the government. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's more, he wants to build a monopoly. He wants to take a percentage and a larger percentage of every economic transaction. And the value behind putting the headquarters there is politicians are scumbags. And the one thing they have to worry about is getting reelected. So the one thing they like to pitch to their people is jobs. Well, we brought Jeff Bezos here and there's all of these jobs. They don't want to be attacking the company that is bringing lots of jobs to the region. So by becoming that stabilizing force for the politicians, he suddenly becomes untouchable. And then doing it in New York, you also get Bernie Sanders on board. And it's, uh, it's just all kinds of interestingness around Amazon, the company, which is becoming Amazon, the, the monopoly of everything. The everything store, right? What about just, exactly? What yeah. about, we'll just get rid of the store part, the everything. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit terrifying, but it's a, it's an interesting future nonetheless. I want to, I want a bold prediction now. It can be about anything. 10, 15 years around the road. Where do you see us in X? Uh, bold prediction. So I think in 15 years, we will have global passports. We will have global driver's license. And I believe we will have a global economy. I, I, I believe it might be 20, it might be 25 years, but I believe down the road, this idea of having countries and having individual laws and things like that, I, I, I think is going to go away and it's basically going to be a world economy. It's such a joke that where you're born is where you're a slave. At least in the US, you're a tax slave. It's, um, it's the only, only thir- first world country in the world like that. It doesn't matter where you move, but I would definitely like to see us move towards that. I think city states are becoming more powerful. So we have the we have the Hong Kongs, the New Yorks, the Tokyos, which are the the hubs of the world, so to speak. Exactly, and and yet tied to that is I think, and and it was it's interesting about the last conversation that you're going to see much smaller governments, and you're going to see very powerful individuals, really sort of the rulers of the world. I I think you're going to have Jeff Bezos as a key political player. You're going to have Richard Branson as a key political player. I believe Trump being elected was foreshadowing the future 
that businessmen and women are going to be running countries and the world. It's not going to be longtime politicians or professional politicians. Well, it's the, it's the KGB oligarchy, and you can take what you can get. So a question around that, um, what was it? Okay, so everyone, everyone likes to vilify China and then bring up India as this great example of democracy. And yet, if you compare the two countries, just if we have to be as extreme as possible, India is almost a shithole in terms of things are terrible for a vast majority of the population. There's a lot of crime, rape is terribly prominent, and a lot of environmental things are just going terribly wrong. And then you have China, who has the strong centralized government. You're going to do this. We're going to monitor you. And by the way, we're going to make your lives much better and easier. China is doing incredibly well on almost all fronts, where India is doing incredibly poorly. Is democracy the answer going forward? Let's play devil's advocate. That's a great question. And and, and I'm a firm believer that everybody needs discipline and everyone needs focus. If you look at the best, most performing athletes in the world, they're the most disciplined. If you look at movie stars that are the most popular, they are the most disciplined. And I believe that not only the human body, the human brain, but society needs very, very strict discipline in order to be the best version of themselves. So I'm actually a big fan of China. I, I think China has it. They, they take care of their folks. They have a lot of discipline, a lot of focus, a lot of regiment. But look at how powerful they are. Look at how smart their people are. Look at how many businesses they're taking over. Look at how many U.S. colleges are getting filled up by Chinese students because they have clear focus and clear discipline. Once again, nothing against India. There's a lot of really smart people there. I have a lot of good friends that are from there, but you're right. There's a lack of discipline, a lack of focus, and therefore there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of people that are not being pushed to their full potential. So I actually believe that the more discipline you can put in place, the better off it is. Now, I don't want to get to an abusive state where where people are not being taken care of, but I'm a big fan of discipline and a big fan of how China is doing things. Well, the path to the path to hell is paved in good intentions, and utopia and dystopia is just the flip side of a different coin. They exactly. they did a poll one time, and we had um we had a prominent future futurist on a while back. I think it was John McCascio, but he was saying, yeah, they did a poll where. They came up with different utopia type situations and they had four or five of them. And then they had a world that looked more or less like today and asked people, which would you most like to live in? And almost universally, it was the world like today, because when people envision utopia, something about it just rubs them the right wrong way, like that lack of challenge. I think a lot of India's problems stem from corruption that democracy often brings. But it's a yeah, it's an interesting question. It's one we like to bring up here a lot. And that's not to say that I support the the communist type model. I think socialism is probably a, a happier medium between the two. But it's uh it's interesting nonetheless to see that democracy may not be the end all be all that it's been sold to be. I, I agree. And and that's what worries me like with some of the talk where they're saying in the US college should be free, this should be free. And I'm like, if you don't work for something and you don't have to pay for it, you don't appreciate it. And and to me we're losing sort a lot of, of though, that focus but discipline. You don't, have, you don't have to pay fifty thousand dollars for it. So like the the U.S. broke when they made the GI Bill, which made the free, essentially free um, mortgages for veterans coming back. Suddenly, you have almost free money to go to college. So the price goes up if the government's subsidizing it. But eventually, it just falls back to, like we said, the kids of the parents. Exactly. Uh, I think other countries are so much farther along when it comes to university. Essentially, if it's an English-speaking country, they're 
they're devolving when it comes to university. I think university is becoming less and less important. Right. Yeah. It's funny because I have a, a son who's a freshman in college and he's an entrepreneur at heart. And he, he reads a lot of the stuff that entrepreneurs that we read. And he's like, dad, college is a waste. College is this. And I'm like, dude, what you're learning in college is probably not going to be the key to your success. However, it's the discipline and the habits that you're building. Learning how to set a schedule, learning how to balance your time, learning how to deliver, learning how to work with others, learning, learning how to cook your own food and things like that. I said, that's really the part. To me, college is more about habits and discipline and less about what you learn in the classroom. But you could do the same thing. Let's say you're going to Harvard. That's 50 grand a year at least. What if your parents said, here's $200,000, go start a business, we'll give it to you on a drip. You got to live here with other entrepreneurs your age and do it that way. I, yeah. I just think there's, I just think that uh, that college dream and then getting the job and the house with a nice white fence and then the bigger car when you get the promotion is, I think that dream is coming to an end and it's costing a lot of people a lot of money to pursue it. I, I would definitely concur. The, the only thing I would add to that is I think you have different types of people out there. So you, you and me are probably much more entrepreneur types where we're like, wow, if our parents would have given us 100K to start a business instead of making us go to school for four years, we'd probably be in different places and different locations. But I also find when I speak and talk to a lot of folks, there are a lot of people that just want to show up. They, they want to work from nine to five. They want to drive their car home and they want to watch TV for three hours a night. So I think there's still some folks that need that training. But you're right, is college the best spot to give them that training? Or is it better to send them to a nine or 10, 10 month school where they learn the skills that they need so they can perform that job? Because you could get a kick-ass job being a programmer or a hacker in Russia, and you do not need any type of college. You just need a computer and to learn to code. Which I would argue that a smart person could probably learn to code in nine to 10 months where they can at least, not, not a pro, but enough to be able to make a living. Yes, I completely agree with that. I want to start to wrap things up, Eric. If you had to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action, it can be anything, what would it be and why? And then we'll tell them a little bit more about you and where to find you. Uh, so if, if I could do two, I'll do a cybersecurity one. The cybersecurity one is you are a target. You're, you are a target. They are going to come after you. I don't care if you have $10 in the bank, $100 or $1,000 in the bank, they're going to target you and come after you. And cybersecurity is your responsibility. You can't blame others. You can't blame Microsoft. You can't blame the government. If you want to protect yourself and your family in cyberspace, you have to be 100% responsible for your actions. And then in terms of a quote, one of my favorite, favorite quotes is whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. You're the biggest barrier to your success. It's nobody else. You can blame your boss. You can blame your parents. But ultimately, if you want to do something and you want to accomplish something and you want to be successful, don't let anything, including your own brain, get in the way. Do it. Live your dream. Live your life and be happy. I couldn't have said it better myself. Eric, where can people find you and learn more about you and what you do? Uh, they can find me uh, for personal cybersecurity. They can go to onlinedanger.com. You can also, if you're interested in corporate cybersecurity work, you can go to secureanchor.com. So secureanchor.com or onlinedanger.com. Also, I'm all over social media. I post like 15 times a day. So I'm uh, Dr. Eric Cole on Twitter, Eric Cole 001 on LinkedIn, or Eric Cole, this is my favorite, Eric Cole.007 on Facebook. <laughs> Somebody really wanted to get one of the more field operative type roles in the CIA, I can see. Exactly. <laughs>
It's been a fun one. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Check out Eric's stuff. And if you like the podcast, remember, share it with a friend. It goes a long way with helping us to grow, expand, and get more awesome guests like Eric. Cheers. If you want more of the Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.